Hi everyone, I'm here with Craig McLeish. Hello. 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 Now, Hi, um, <laughs> I, I contacted you because uh, obviously I'm a youth and community worker at High Cross Church um, and you are a choir master. Well, you're not exactly a choir master, you are a lot more than a choir master. Um, you, um, tell us about yourself actually. What are you actually doing at the moment? <laughs> at the moment, I'm sort of balancing and juggling a lot of a lot of musical things. Yeah, it's like spinning plates. Yeah. Um, so my day-to-day -day, uh, work is with choirs and a couple of schools here in the Midlands in Milton Keynes. Um, so uh, and unfortunately, with the virus um, suddenly coming on us in March, uh, we had to adapt things. And like a lot of um, people I went online and we've been doing Zoom choir sessions. How have they been working Zoom choir sessions? Because sound what I mean there's always that because different <laughs> broadband widths you get people to yes. sing in at different times of don't course. you? Well everyone soon found out within about three seconds of trying Zoom on choirs that it didn't work. <laughs> so uh, the, what you do is you, you mute everybody, you teach them their lines and they put their thumbs up when they've got the music, when they think they've got it. Yep. And you play them a recording to sing along to, to double check that they've got it, and then you hope for the best. And then when we come back together, eventually, when the vaccine has arrived and we can sit next to each other in a space that we can afford and make lovely music together. Like a cathedral um, somewhere. They will know their parts and it will be, people will suddenly <laughs> discover, oh, you were learning a completely different song. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, let's start from scratch. But um, a lot, lot of my lovely choirs, bless them there, they are, I do well, three main choirs, a youth choir, which is small, but obviously vulnerable because they're all in different schools. I'm not sure mm -hmm. we can meet together yet to sort of, you know, spread things around again. But um, officially you can meet and think and sing three metres apart and I have a mask and they all work, point different directions and you know, wash their hands and wipe every surface. I mean, we're talking about kids here. So yes. It's yes. not really the easiest thing to do. A lot of my other choirs, um, I run a community choir and another classical choir, which is essentially a community choir. And they're in the vulnerable category. A lot of them are older, you know, retired, and um, their music is a leisure activity. And um, Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't that? But they've been supporting me wonderfully and, you know, still turning up and staring into a tiny little screen <coughs> yeah. week after week since March. Uh, the numbers had gone down, but I mean, that's, so that's my bread, bread and butter, I think, for my day to day. And I also um, do a thing called Young Voices. I don't know that's, you know, yes, I was coming on to that. So that I do work at that a lot when we're not on tour. When we are on tour, obviously that's very full on, mm -hmm. but I write the arrangements and write the show and um, choose the music and uh, interact with the teachers. And, and Because the Young Voices is a, quite a big thing and you're, uh, did you start it? No. You're just, no, I didn't. Because uh, you are the musical director of yes. Young Voice, and you have been since like 20,000. 20,000. 20,000. 20,000. 20, <laughs> just seems a lot longer. Yeah. I'm happy <laughs> to talk to you with my music. Um, yes, uh, it's been a very amazing privilege to be involved in that. So that's an ongoing sort of annual thing. You mm -hmm. know, I would call it probably my main job. It's almost, you know, say half of the time that I spend working is on Young Voices. Yeah, and uh, it means an app and a huge amount to me. Um, a friend of mine who was already in it, um, uh, there was a vacancy, and he said um, he brought me into it, which was wonderful back in the day. Uh, what's interesting is now that some of the kids who <laughs> who enjoyed the early 
two thousands, yes. two thousand and one. Their kids come along? No, they're now teachers. Oh they bring kids to well, some of one of David said some of the I don't think it was really true. There was a grandparent that sort of said, Oh, your kids know it's my grandparent I'm a grandparent who brought their kids. Anyway, who remembers <laughs> the, I'm not sure that's true. But um uh, it just make you feel old when well meeting you today it's been like that. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember back in the day which is even further back you're looking at another decade and a, and a half possibly yes at uh, when um, I used to play the bass and you used to pogo to pogo jump, jump around or or stand at the back if We've necessary come on to that too early we I'm have yeah retract. that's that's another yeah, podcast so lots, altogether it's lots of choirs it's sitting at the computer doing arrangements it's um, I also um Help run a little company with my brother. We started that as another community choir-based project. Okay. Uh, because there were so many community choirs springing up, and so many people needing music, needing arrangements, and uh, a lot of friends of mine were sort of, you know, what, is this legal for me to do an arrangement of this song? And so we weren't sure about that, and then we read up about it, and we realised that we were all breaking the law. So we have, <laughs> we, have, we have started a company which has a deal with the publishers. Yeah so that we can get uh, arrangements, f- uh, affordable arrangements, because, you know, if you've got a community choir of about 100 people, mm-hmm. and you go to a music shop or you go online and, um, you know, sing a lovely song by John Rutter is £2.99 a copy, that's 300 quid for a three-minute piece. Yeah. And who can afford that? So we make all our music, uh, and our public domain and our folk music is 50p a copy, and you can you can buy less than your full choir because there's a sort of there's a limit and you can halve that so we're quite generous with that um, but some of the online places we think it's not they say it's three pounds a copy and they say your minimum is five well that's not feasible for a copy. and you can't you, know, fo- you can't photocopy it either well, you're not meant to but you no. we think people may be doing that yeah it's a shame and and maybe the arrangers and the producers and, and the publishers of the money of the music aren't getting their full due because people are photocopying music right, left, and centre. This is this. It's that realm, isn't it, of music and printing music and writers. They think they're going to make a lot of money out of it, and they realise that they're someone. One person buys it and then photocopies it, or they just nick it off YouTube. Yeah. And we wish. I wish now I'd called the company the Grey Area. Yeah. Because that's what people call it. It's a big grey area. Mm. But it's called a uh, choircommunity.net, and if you know anybody who runs even a little church choir or a school choir or a community choir and they need affordable decent arrangements we yep. have about 12 arrangers who really tried and tested um, some really wonderful wonderful names Kitika Partington's been doing it for years Wendy Sargent these people have been doing this for 20-30 years yeah. and they have a huge catalogue of, of really amazing tried and tested it's not at the shops so it's we're, it's a very small thing we're building but I think it's it's grassroots it's so it's almost like people have to email you directly <laughs> or call, like call your house phone hello can I order some music please <laughs> yes now that, I'll come on to that later that's, um, you can pretend we used to pretend in the Fat and Frantic office yeah. that there was a big office, uh, network of offices and so if somebody wanted to ask about a concert or a something then me and Silas in fact be sitting there sort of you know playing a song or whatever and then someone would call yeah, and then Silas would answer and say, "Yeah, fine, 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 fine. Oh well, that's that's for Terry Widell. I'll get Terry Widell. Hold on. He put the phone down, make some noises, <laughs> bang a few books together. Yeah, walk along. Terry, what's it? <laughs> on the phone for you. <laughs> and it's him. He's talking, and he comes back, and he's Terry Widell. 
and he'd change his voice and then be Terry, <laughs> who was head of marketing or something, in inverted commas. <laughs> we, all had, we all had different pseudonyms. I was Ian Buckland, which is my dad's name. Oh, well, there you go. At least, at least you remember your name then. That's, yes. that's, that's always good, isn't it? That so. was Keith, somebody I forgot about. But these are the personas we have to do. But we're getting, we're, we're diversifying again. We I'm want to talk about we want to talk about you, Craig. We want to, okay, right. Let's go back. Let's go right back, 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 back. Okay, wow. The age of ten, you wrote your first. Um, you you started composing at I the did. age of ten. I did. Yes. I mean, did you? I mean, that means like the age of five. You you think to yourself, I'm already into music. The age of five. I will tell you something that is a bit of a weird, bit weird thing. Um, I was influenced a little bit musically when I was five. Okay. Because um, this is a very, a very happenstance, lucky thing. My mum's parents lived in Alborough in Suffolk, and we used to go there every year. We used to have a holiday with one granny, holiday mm-hmm. with the other granny. And uh, she basically <coughs> lived next door to Benjamin Britten in Alborough. You know, he's one of the, the possibly the leading British 20th century composer of classical music. And um, so I used to lie, I remember he's lying in the garden at Granny's. Pro- this really, really early, probably for age four or five. Yeah. Lying, looking up in the sky, listening to an orchestra rehearsal. <laughs> he used to have orchestras in his garden. Can you believe that? That was an amazing sound. Can you imagine, at age five, hearing an orchestra play in a next door garden? Which is normally a boombox. Boom box. Look at me. It's, it's normally like a Bluetooth speaker, isn't it, now? You're laying in the garden, you hear a Bluetooth speaker go off. But you, you had an orchestra. An actual, real live orchestra in next door. So... That was that was that, and I don't want. I don't know what. I just remember it. I don't mm. know what effect it made on. I just know that I still. And when you remember something when you were that age, it's weird, isn't it? You have snapshots of things that happen. It's like smells, sounds, things like it just just, just comes back I, to you. I remember walking down the garden there. And I was, somebody was there, and I remember that. And um, yeah, but anyway, so age by age ten, I was at St Paul's Cathedral, being a chorister. Are we talking um, St Paul's Cathedral, London? Here, are yeah. we? Yeah. The, the big one yeah with the dome so somebody heard me singing the hymns at assembly at school I think when I was seven mm-hmm. and and we didn't my mum and dad didn't know that you could do that they didn't know it existed I don't think it wasn't something we'd thought of and then there, so this woman this teacher who sang a bit of opera um, knew my godmother or some my mum's friend and commented this boy, again it's who you know it's networking yes, it's isn't it it, it is said, yeah he should Trying for St Paul's Cathedral, and then I didn't try for any others at those Westminster. There were other choirs you could have gone for Salisbury, Winchester, mm. Westminster, Windsor, you know, Cambridge. Just went for St Paul's and got in. And seven and a half, there I was in the middle of London, mum and dad driving away, bawling their eyes out, going, What have we done? And you're standing there going, Let's party. <laughs> Not at that time, that did come later. It was a difficult to be at for many reasons was that was that also the starting of your like your faith and things like that when you became a, a, a choir boy or was it may that may have been started before that because mum and dad brought me up uh, going to church every week and they love you know coloring in the pictures of joseph and mary and yeah those little books these little bible study books and yeah so the, the, the stories were with me and but i think singing actually in a cathedral put a lot of people off i know some friends of mine Colleagues there, who the boringness of the of the sermons and the sort of yeah <laughs> for half an hour. You know, just, it's not going to really excite you, in a, but I remember there were certain things that did 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 speak to me, and I had a wonderful um, RE teacher um, called Michael Moxon who also taught me cricket. Bless him. 
and we beat Westminster Abbey in my final year, which is um, still one of the greatest achievements. It must be so strange, sort of like <laughs> being, well, schooling up in London, because yeah. I mean, there's not really, a lot of people say, oh, it's really packed, it's really, but there are green spaces and things like that where you can run around and you can have a, lo a lot of fun. The boys, now I know that all they do, they only go to Regent's Park to do that, but we went to Bellingham, we, we took the train down to Bellingham near Catford, where there was a really, really lovely pitch, football mm. and cricket, you know, just top class quality and, a, and an athletics track. So we did all that and um, took it really seriously, Monday mornings and Thursday afternoons. So that's twice in one week we would go out, give, a whole, give up half a day's teaching lessons yeah. to go and run a kick a ball and learn proper cricket. You know, swing bowling, hard ball, none of this patting around with plastic and a bit of a... A tennis ball like they do these days. There's nothing wrong with that though. No, no, no. But I don't know if it really teaches you the right. throws a ball at you at 100 miles an hour. Three years old. Put these little pathetic little pads on. These little sort of gloves with those little, little rubber spikes. They're yes. like proper cricket gloves. You know, put them on. Go out there. Head boy of the school. Fastest bowler. You know. Yeah. Out first ball. I actually was out first ball every game the first time I played for the first 11 which is uh, it took you a bit of a while and then you got used to the ball being thrown at you <laughs> I didn't know no one taught me how to use this bat I used to sort of like pat it up and then just get caught but anyway um, things improved and then um, and we yes um, I will say on record again we beat Westminster Abbey um, there are some people at uh, Westminster there was a guy called David James who sings in the Hilliard Ensemble he's a wonderful guy actually really good singer um, but he was the sort of sports teacher for the for the Westminster guys, the wax, bit biased. I think he extended the second half of a football match by a few minutes to make sure they got another goal. Um, <laughs> so when you were at, when you were at, um, at uh, Saint uh, Saint Paul's Cathedral, yes. was it the full quite with the you know the, the long the, the long drapes and the and the thing around the collar? And the, the, yes, yeah. Well, the first year you do one year called a probationary year, okay, where you just sing the rehearsals. And then you go into every service and you sit there and you listen and you soak it up. And what was your you what know. was your starting? What was your pitch? Or what? What, what you were an alto or were you? Uh, no, we're all trebles, sopranos. Sopranos. Yeah, yes. So you used sing each side. the high, highest, the high stuff. The high stuff. Yes. So um, yeah. So Do you want to know what note it was? Well, go on then. Well, in the in the Allegri Miserere, which I actually did at the top part once, it goes to top C. Okay. And there was a lovely piece called "Jesus, Lover of My Soul" by Malcolm Williamson. And that had a D in it, and oh. we, we we loved that. We did that every like once a year. And all the women, all those, all those grannies going, oh, aren't they aren't they oh, idyllic? Look, look at them! Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> mayhem, the mayhem that happened, even even in the stalls, you know, during the service. Did you have little jokes going on when you were standing there? Thousands of them. I mean, I'll give you a little example. And this came up recently in a lovely online thing. There was a, a somebody called Patrick Ellis who runs a thing called the Even Song Cup. So in the lockdown, he suddenly thought, right, we're going to put all these even song anthems and, and canticles together and have, you know, rounds and quarterfinals and semifinals, see who wins. <laughs> and all these sort of ex-cathedral choristers are sort of voting for this stuff. And there's a very famous piece called Fair as the Heaven, which I tipped to win. I think it sort of came second equal at the end. Um, Fair as the Heaven, which has a line that called, I don't know where it's from. It's a, it's, it's a poem, it's not from the Bible. There's a line that goes, in full enjoyment of felicity. I think it's looking forward to heaven or something. Fair is heaven. In full enjoyment of felicity. And one of my colleagues was called Matthew Pawley. I think he was a year ahead of me. 
Um, so Twister lyrics? Matthew Paul. No, his sister was called Felicity. Oh, and um, she was she was quite fanciful. She was quite fanciful. We all sort of said we all you know I fancy Felicity Paul more than you do. Now, that, and then when he had when we were singing full enjoyment of it, you know all the nugs, which, especially if she was watching, uh, you know uh, had come to even song she was standing there with her, with his parents. It was that was always fun. There was loads of stuff, loads of stuff that goes on. It's you get you get in the West, you get in the musicals and that. Um, one of the famous ones is the um, during Greece once um, Shane Ritchie. Mm. They used to have different nights. So they'd have Viking night. They'd have uh, and it, just to keep the cast on their toes. Oh, right. And they had to get words in. Oh yeah, <laughs> in, the, what, in the in the songs. Yeah, within within the actual show, they had to they, they had to they had yes, to put words that happens in. Happens on. That happens in broadcast the world all the time. I hear little. When I worked on the holiday camps, that's what we had to do yeah. nights. So you had you had yes. to get so you had a, you you picked it out of a hat at the beginning of the night, and that was the word you had it to get in. On the commentary. It happens on the one show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Beware>. <laughs> which is which is great. So we're moving forward to York University, and then you studied at Guildhall and went back to yes, um, Saint Paul's. Music. That was all music. So you and you were a tenor then. You were a bit older. Bit of a tenor, not really. Oh, see, that's the thing. I've never really been anything. This is the this is a bit of. Um, so you stand there. You go. You go. Ah, oh, move down a bit. Ah, oh, down a bit further. Ah, oh, down a bit further. <laughs> well, no. There's a serious point to this actually, um, because while I was at York, I was singing tenor things, but low tenor or high baritone. I don't have a bass voice because as soon as I sing too much bass, it cuts out. Mm -hmm. I don't really have the high tenor. My voice did not break easily and beautifully like some of my colleagues like you know Stephen Harold um, wonderful this floaty high are you voice. the person yeah. who talked like that for a while are you no 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 <laughs> there were some people whose voice broke like overnight yeah there was one guy called Andrew Carr at St Paul's and he was for the entire year he sang bass and he was a chorister still and they didn't, didn't realise he was standing in front of the bass and singing bass <laughs> He didn't tell anybody. Oh, right, okay. Bless him. <laughs> he was called Jelly. And um, so, uh, but this, no, this is a little bit of a serious, kind of a little bit of a disappointment for me because I suppose when I was a treble, when I was a chorister, I had quite a sort of um, uh, a soloistic voice to get chosen for some solos and quite important things. Yep. And I sing for the Queen and all that. And it was great. Those albums. And, uh, was that a bit daunting? No. The Queen? Queen. She's no, there. No, She's no. there. No, honestly. We were taught a wonderful lesson by Barry Rose, mainly, that the Tuesday afternoon even song with one dog, two tramps, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, another guy yeah. was as important, if not more important, than the royal wedding. And we'd have, um, you know, the royal royals would come three or four times a year to various things, you know, commemoration of this, that, and the other, or what some of the clergy, or whatever. And it was just part of the job. It was all in the day. I mean, yeah, there were some lovely. It was nice to see them and sort of think you all were on telly. But no, we weren't so that, taught that that was anything more special than your normal, ordinary Tompkins second service. You know, do it day in, day out. And that's, isn't that a good lesson for life? That's a good lesson. I mean, when I was DJing, you did have, I mean, I used to do, um, uh, not in the holiday camps, we used to do working men's clubs. And you'd have like, they'd all be watching, watching the, they'd have the meat raffle. Yes. And then they'd all disappear, watch Saturday night TV in the bar, and there'd be like two people left. Mm. And you'd be there, and, and you wouldn't even use the microphone. You just, just dip down, what do you want next? <laughs> what do you want next? <laughs> and then one couple, they stayed all night, and it was their anniversary, and we just played whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted to at the time. It was oh. lo lovely. It was one of the best evenings we ever had. Yeah. 
So, uh, but yeah, so, but you so do. So yes, that was, a, that was a, what we were taught. So um, uh, it was nice to do this, you know, the, those occasions. We did some, did some private secret recordings that people didn't, the, the Dean and Chapter didn't know about. So we, were, we sang on White Rock with Rick Wakeman and we sang on a Harry Nilsson why didn't Why didn't they know? Were they like, oh, Because no. they probably would have stopped it because it was kind oh. of music and it was kind of, you know. But Barry was very, very good, very uh, innovative very eclectic in his musical tastes. Sounds like he was some sort of person who sort of led you into the direction where, where you are now, really. One of the greatest influences, and he's still doing it. He's 86 now, I think he's still conducting the high, to the, the highest level, flying to the States, he's basically retired. And Barry, I don't know if you've listened to this, he won't be listening to this, but um, I'll just say thank, thank you for what he taught me. And he didn't realise he was touching, it was just, that was the way he was. Yeah. He had a, a great faith, he had a great, um, a way of communicating. He had a great way of getting us to sing naturally without mm. a sort of affected voice. You know, I think we prided ourselves that we didn't have that plummy kind of affected yeah. voice that maybe King's Cambridge might have had or other choirs. Vienna Boys Choir. It's all very posh and kind of, you know, showing. Yours was more natural. Very natural. You can, if you go online, you can hear it. There's some recordings. Um, um, I would point people towards an album, I think they've changed its name. So it was recorded in 1977 for the Silver Jubilee yeah. service. Um, I'm going back a bit to St Paul's now because that, that, I still think that was the most important part of my yeah. life in the terms of musical education. Yes. Um, so 1977 it was recorded, it was it was for the Silver Jubilee. And yeah. now it's called, I think, Royal Music from St Paul's or Music for Music for Royal Occasions, I think it's called. Yeah. And it's still there, you can get these tracks on, on iTunes. And there's, there's one thing I would really recommend people to hear which is the Britain Jubilati, uh, no, Britain Te Deum in C, mm -hmm. and it's on there, and you can, and the soloist is a guy called Robert Eaton, who was my colleague. So you were, not, you were singing, you're singing on this, right? I'm singing on there, there's a couple of solos by me, some Vaughan Williams on there, people can check me out, check me out, my little sharp note in O Taste Compa C. Compared to the stuff I remember you singing, it must be totally different. <laughs> With a, with, melt. With, a, with a plate around you. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, no, check that out because that is, that is uh, I think it's a good, a really good choir sound and some really exciting um, um, sort of moments. It was all recorded at midnight so there wouldn't be any traffic. <laughs> you don't know, normally do that. You're, you know, you're 10 years old, you're recording one of the best choirs in the world in yeah. a cathedral at midnight. At midnight. Yeah. I mean, I the do it again! <laughs> <Don't be caught. laughs> Of course, in that place, and acoustic-wise, if someone even sniffs, you get, it's going to rebound, isn't it? It's going to. I think it's an eight-second echo. End of part one.